Gun violence in Chicago happens almost daily. So far this year, there have been nearly 350 homicides and over 1,000 shootings in the city. There are also dozens of violence prevention organizations throughout the city with teams working on the streets around the clock to lessen the blow and prevent more bullets from flying. Now, many of those organizations are getting pandemic relief money to ramp up their efforts. WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith has been looking into that, and he joins us now. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Sasha. So when we say that these groups are working on the ground, Patrick, what does that mean exactly? Like, what do violence prevention workers do? Well, they do a lot. There uh, there are a lot of, of things and a lot of different titles that fall under the umbrella of violence prevention or this anti-violence work that's that's being done throughout the city of Chicago and in communities throughout Illinois. Uh, there's outreach workers. Those are workers. They are often former gang members. At the very least, they are from the neighborhoods that they work in. Their job is to sort of communicate with the people who are the closest to the shootings on the streets of Chicago and in other communities. You know, the the people who are the most likely to shoot or be shot. They're talking to those those young men usually uh, to try to settle disputes between them before before gunshots are fired, you know, to try to prevent retaliation and also to try to pull people away from life on the street, from life uh, that involves that involves shootings or carrying carrying a gun or, or fear of being shot. You know, um, yeah. there's also case managers who work with these young men. Usually if if an outreach worker is able to pull someone away and say, hey, maybe you want to go get your high school diploma, or your GED. Maybe you want job training. Maybe I can help you get a job. There are case managers who help those people with those next steps of sort of moving away from a life that that's putting them in danger. And then there's also victims advocates or victim support workers who go to the hospital after someone is shot, sort of are with them if they survive the gunshot to to help them recover from their wounds, help them sort of recover mentally, and, and also to convince them, you know, not to seek retaliation. Uh, if unfortunately, if if someone is shot and they are are killed, those victims advocates work with with their families to to help them figure out the funeral costs again, prevent retaliation, and also just sort of help with the grieving process. So are their efforts successful in reducing violence? Well, there have been some studies that show that that they have an impact. I think, you know, we've seen a big increase in support, public support for this kind of work in Chicago in the last few years. At the same time, we've also seen an increase in gun violence. So you can't say that it's having a a citywide impact in bringing down gun violence. However, there have been studies done by the University of Chicago and Northwestern that show if you look at the specific areas that they work in, if you look at the specific populations they're trying to reach, they do have an impact on the people that they reach. They do have an impact on the direct areas that they're in, but that impact is limited just because you know, this is person to person contact. It's essentially like it's one person trying to reach another, which is going to have it's 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 tough until you can really, yeah. really scale that up. It's tough to have a, a really broad impact on, on citywide gun violence. And Patrick, you've actually been shadowing these violence prevention teams for weeks. You know, what's that been like? Are you surprised by anything you saw? Yeah, well, you know, I thought I had an idea of just how stressful and demanding this job is. Um but I've still been struck by just the toll it takes on workers and sort of what's expected of them. I mean, they're they're on call essentially 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And when they're called in, it's it's because someone's been shot or because there's risk of a shooting. So it's these incredibly high pressure, highly traumatic situations. You know, I'll admit just spending like 20 hours a week with, with them, I feel emotionally drained and exhausted at the end of every week. 
Um, I can imagine. On, on a lighter note, so so you can only imagine what the impact is on them who are doing this every day. You know, I'm just there as an observer. They're, they're really in the thick of it every day. Uh, on a lighter, lighter note, I mean, one other thing I, I've really learned is that just hanging out, just being present can make a really big difference. You know, it was a few weeks ago I was at a at an event at the former site of the Rockwell Gardens public housing complex. It was hosted by Breakthrough Urban Ministries. They they recently got, they're one of the organizations that got a check from the state that we're talking about uh, back in June. And I talked to Sorenzo Strong, who's an outreach worker uh, with Breakthrough, who was there working. And he sort of talked about, this is this area where lots of different groups, you know, street organizations, gangs, gather and just having a presence there helps sort of bring the temperature down prevents disputes and can if there is a dispute can prevent it from from escalating into gun violence and he talked to me about just how high the stakes were even at this sort of calm family event and this is a real hot spot because if something happens down here it, it messes up the whole something this is like the place where everybody hangs and congregates and everybody knows each other and then it's like it's close. It's two different organiz- two, three different organizations this around, and when something happens, it just it can go it can go haywire and go through the whole city. So, Patrick, explain the ripple effects that he's talking about there, and, and how what happens in Garfield Park can lead to violence in other parts of the city. So, what he's talking about there is this is an area where people who don't live in that area anymore they will come and join together. You know, uh, the the people out there doing the work, they they like to use the term street organization. I think uh, people are trying to move away from gang, but I think the listeners will, will, you know, be more familiar with what it means to be a gang. The gangs will sort of congregate at this park. And so if you just have one fight there that seems like it's just a one-off fight, if someone gets shot or if someone gets hit or if someone feels disrespected, it can lead to a ripple effect where they go back to, to where they live and and then there's retaliation sort of echoing back and forth throughout the summer is the concern that that strong was talking about there so the the american rescue plan funds how much money's been given so far and how much more is left to be given yes so in june the state of illinois sent about two million dollars to community-based organizations so so the the arpa these are federal COVID relief dollars they came to the state of illinois and then they, uh, the state of Illinois allocated more than a quarter billion dollars to go specifically to anti-violence efforts like the ones we're talking about now. That $2 million was the first down payment, uh, the, the first time that, that, that checks actually went out the door. So obviously there's a lot more to give away in the next, in the next three and a half years. How many organizations got money? It was uh, about four dozen or different organizations, most of them in Chicago. Every organization uh, works in a community that is has the highest among the highest rates of gun violence in the state. That's actually part of the the sort of guidelines around how this went out. Most of that went to organizations in Chicago. Some of it went to other communities throughout Illinois. And again, about about four dozen organizations that got checks ranging anywhere from the smallest was about four thousand dollars up to like one hundred thousand dollars for some organizations, many of them in the. Twenty to thirty thousand dollar range for this first check, uh, with more uh, promised by the state. Mm-hmm. So Governor Pritzker decided to, of course, allocate these pandemic relief funds to this issue. Would you say this came out of community organizing and pressure? I think it's absolutely fair to say that you know there has been a growing network of advocates in Chicago and Illinois who have been advocating for investing in public safety that doesn't involve or doesn't solely rely on law enforcement. And it's it's a it's a cry that that Governor Pritzker has really responded to. You know, Governor Pritzker and the Legislative Black Caucus especially have really organized around 
um, this idea of promoting public safety and trying to prevent violence through community-based efforts. And that's that certainly started from the ground. It started from advocates pushing for this sort of spending, and it, it's something that the state has really embraced. So let's hear a little bit, Patrick, of, of how Reverend uh, Sierra Bates Chamberlain, who's head of Live Free Illinois, responded to the fact that there was a delay in, in getting this state money into the hands of these organizations. Ideally, it would have been awesome if a lot of this money was available prior to like summertime in Illinois, when we know that there's going to be an uptick in violence. But I think that there has been a bit of grace understanding that this is new. Uh, they're trying to pull together their strategies and systems. Uh, but when there's the urgency related to actually saving lives, I mean, of course, we would say we hope we would have liked for the money to be out sooner. So she's referring there, Patrick, to that delay between announcing the money and actually dispersing it. What else have you been hearing from community members? Yeah, so I have certainly heard from and, and Live Free Illinois and the Reverend there. They were big advocates for spending this money on this community-based anti-violence work. I've heard from advocates like 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 the Reverend, like and and people who are working on the ground that they really feel like, boy, this money is not getting out fast enough. We needed it like yesterday. This is you know the whole reason the money was dedicated to this is because we have an emergency on our hands, and so there needs to be more urgency in getting in getting these dollars out. What I've heard from the state and frankly from 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 outside people outside of the state who are sort of experts in this kind of funding is that it just it takes a long time to build up the infrastructure necessary to support smaller organizations you know this is not like you write one 200 million dollar check to some big nonprofit instead you've got to find the right small organizations you've got to make sure that they have the structure in place to to make good use of the money and that it it make you know according to the state according to some experts i talked to it makes sense that it's taken so long taken months mm-hmm. to to build up the infrastructure but again i've heard from other people who are really doing the work who are like we need this money and the state is not going fast enough this is reset i'm sasha ann simons if you're just tuning in that is wbez criminal justice reporter patrick smith and we're talking about the money that illinois is funneling into community-based anti-violence prevention work from pandemic relief funds. Patrick, ARPA funds, they've got to be spent by 2026. Will there be more money funneled into these projects after the ARPA funds run out? Well, the state of Illinois has not committed specifically uh, to to what the funding is going to be like, you know, after 2026. I will say that the state of Illinois has said we really believe in this work. We believe in this method of trying to bring down gun violence we want to keep funding it. And, and they would be quick to point out, the state state officials would be quick to point out that they fund this work already through other grants and programs of state money, not federal dollars. And so mm-hmm. at least you would expect though that sort of funding to, to continue. I will say the funding for this kind of work can be fickle. You know, we don't know. It's the whole idea with this is, hey, our first response is always to go to law enforcement to try to solve these issues. We should try something else. But if that something else doesn't work quickly, which maybe is an, is, is an unreasonable expectation, but if it doesn't have really immediate impacts, you could see there being a sort of fatigue or people getting distracted or getting focused on something else and, and the, the verve, the vigor for spending this money on, on these sorts of community-based uh, violence prevention efforts could, could go away by 2026. I'm not saying it will. I'm just saying yeah. it's, it's hard to predict where we'll be in, in three or four years. Well, you, you mentioned law enforcement there, and you know, some listeners might be wondering – how this amount of money compares to the amount of money that's budgeted for police. Because I know it's different pots of money, Patrick, but just as a comparison, 
Can you remind us how much money the city of Chicago budgets for the police department? Yeah, I mean, the city of Chicago uh, budgets close to $2 billion a, a year for the Chicago Police Department. The state of Illinois, you know, it's close to $700 million a year for the Illinois State mm-hmm. Police. Uh, you said it's different pots of money. I do want to point out that that that's many municipalities have taken these ARPA dollars, the COVID relief dollars, and spent them on policing. I don't have the, the totals in front of me because it was sort of city by city really? or municipality by municipality. But we have seen ARPA dollars go to, to policing and law enforcement as well. Again, you were on the ground with some of these folks uh, for the last few weeks. Talk more about the toll of this work that they're doing. Yeah, and this is something that I, you know I've been reporting on this kind of work for a while, and and I've seen it firsthand working with this pe- with with the people who are doing this work. Uh, just the impact it can have on their health, on their family life, on their finances. I mean, I've seen workers who are coming out of their own workers who are not paid that much, who are coming out of their own pocket to buy like bandages or saline solution to help the people they work with who are gunshot victims. I've seen people who it's hard to have to spend much time with your kids or or your partner because, mm-hmm. you know, you feel this obligation to be out there when when you're needed. Um, you, there's been studies on it, too. You know, I, I, I know you have have had people on to discuss this. I spoke with a professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago a few months ago, uh, Catherine Bocanegra, who did a survey mm-hmm. of these frontline anti-violence workers who found they're overexposed to trauma. They feel underappreciated, undersupported. And she said, you know, we could be taking a real toll on these workers, but also it could take a toll on the work itself if, if the workers are not truly supported and, and, and we make sure that they are mentally healthy. So are there efforts then to retain staff here and, and make this a more sustainable job? There are efforts. You know, there has been efforts in recent years to raise the pay for anti-violence workers, which is something I hear a lot from people on the ground, which is just sort of like, I'm out here risking my life and I feel like I'm not adequately compensated. I can barely make ends meet. Uh, There's also efforts to get more training in place for the workers. And you hear organizations talking about we need mental health um, support specifically. You know, they, they offer mental health support for sort of the participants, the people that they're working with, almost the clients, if you will. But we need mental health support for the workers themselves. I've seen some organizations really embrace that. But at the same time, the the margins are so thin here that when an organization gets a pot of money, they're supposed to go spend that on expanding their capacity, on reaching more people instead of sort of strengthening what they already have. Mm-hmm. So what else are you going to be watching for? Well, I mean, the main thing I'm going to be watching is to, is to see when and how the rest of this money that's been pledged goes out. You know, you said there's a ticking clock on this federal money. If we don't, if we as a state don't don't spend it uh, by the deadline, you send it back to the federal federal government, which a lot of people in Illinois would say was a waste. So I'm going to be monitoring how and when that money goes out to anti-violence groups. That was WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Thanks for the update, Patrick. Thank you. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.